Good morning, One Church. How you guys doing? How many of y'all had a Merry Christmas? Let me hear you. Awesome. Awesome. I tell you, it was so awesome. How many of y'all, somebody in your family was sick this Christmas? Yeah, why are y'all cheering that? Right? Telling you what? Awful. I don't know what the flu, if, if, you, if you shake anybody's hand today, make sure to bathe in Germex. All right, because I know I will. I'm going to go home. There's going to be a shower head with Germex. I'm just going to be in everywhere. I'm going to gargle with it, right? So anyway, right? I know. All right, well, welcome. If this is your first time here at One Church, uh, glad you're here. If you're watching online, uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us and interacting with us online today. Uh, We are starting a brand new series starting today that's actually going to go through the entire month of January, and it's entitled Accomplished. And uh, really excited about where we're going, and not just with this series, but literally for all of the sermons that we have planned for 2015. Now, let me kind of just give you a, a brief of like a snippet of where we're going to be going at today and through this entire series, because this is the last Sunday of 2014. How many of y'all are excited that 2014 is in your rearview mirror? Let me hear you. How many of y'all are like, 2014 was a good year? Anyone? A lot fewer. All right, so let's talk about that, all right? See, for some of us, 2014 has been a great year. And when you think about it, you think about all the stuff that God has done, and, and like you got, you got the promotion, your relationships are better, and things are just great. And when you look back at 2014, you have fond memories because it's just been great, right? For others of you, it sounds like for the most of us, 2014 has just been like... You know, and we can't wait for 2015, and we're looking forward to put 2014 in the rearview mirror. Now, whether or not it was a good year for you this past year or a bad year for you, here's where we're all at this morning, because all of us, right now, we're looking at 2015, and we're hoping, what is it going to look like? And we're hoping it's going to be good, right? All of us are looking at 2015, and we're comparing it to this past year, and we're hoping that 2014 is going to be a good year. It's going to be a good year. Here's the thing. (laughs) There's something about the new year that gets us all thinking about the future. I mean, we are just right on the cusp of another year, and all of us are thinking about the future. In fact, some of you, you're thinking about resolutions, and you're talking about things that you want to change. So where we're going to be going, especially today, but throughout the entire series, is the thing that I want you to think about today is I want you to think about the future. For the next 35 minutes that we get to hang out this morning, I want you to think about the future, and specifically, I want you to think about where you're going to be in the next six months, that six months from today, where do you want to be? Some of you, this is where you are going to spend. That's what you're going to be. How many of y'all want to be by the beach? Some of y'all, I, I want to go to some beach somewhere, you know what I mean? In the words of Blake Shelton, right? Or maybe with a spouse or a significant other, right? And I want you to think about six months from today, which is going to be June the 28th, 2015. Where does that look like for you? Where do you want to be? What do you want your relationships to be? Where do you want your life to be? And I want you to project yourself six months from now. What does the future you look like? For some of you, you you got a great trip planned for 2015, and you've been planning it for like months or maybe even years, and 2015 is the year that you get to take your awesome trip. For others of you, 
It's like June 28th. I think we're going to be, you have this like regular vacation spot that you go, maybe with your children or with your parents, and that's where you're going to be. But wherever that looks like for you, the question I want you to really kind of dwell through and, and wade through this morning is what do you want the next six months to look like for you? I think as we're looking at this and we're looking at where we're going to be on June the 28th of 2015, here's what I know about this. I think all of us are going to think back and we're going to think of some things that we wished we would have done today because... For example, many of you, you wish right now, you know what? Okay, it's time to lose a few pounds. In order for me to be able to be where I want to be in June uh, the 28th, I mean, others of you, it's like, you know what? Maybe I should quit smoking. Others of you, it's like, you know what? I want to save some money. I want to get a better handle on my finances. And whatever that looks like for you, I just want you to think, where do you want to see yourself in the next six months? Let me, let, let me get a little bit deeper down in that. For, I don't know about for you, but for me, one of the things that I want to see happen is I want to be able to lose a few pounds. In fact, this, this past October, I, I just said, you know what? I got to do some things differently in my life. I just do, all right? I want to be around longer. I want to be able to do some different things with my kids. So I immediately went to go see a doctor, and uh, I started just making some radical lifestyle choices. And uh, I, I'm like, a, I love Coca-Cola, love Coca-Cola. I love McDonald's Coca-Cola. I don't drink McDonald's Coca-Cola anymore. I've not done that since October. And uh, just from some, some course corrections I've made, I've lost almost 25 pounds since October. And I'm pretty stoked about that, all right? Now, as you can tell, i got a long way to go, all right? But some of you, you may be kind of where you're at with me. You're just like, you know, I want to lose some pounds. I want to be able to make some light. Let me give you just a some couple of quick things that if you started today, and if you took out an average snack a day and you didn't eat it, and you added a 30-minute walk to every day, in by six months, but when June 28th rolls around, you could be 20 pounds lighter. You see, when you, take, when you eliminate a, a regular-sized snack, that's about 250 calories, and you add a 30-minute walk, which is 250 calories, that is actually subtracting 500 calorie, calories a day from your equation, and in six months, you could be in those Speedos that you want to be in. And you're thinking, no, don't do it, Chris. <laughs> all, right. all right, others of you, for others of you, you're like this. You're kind of thinking through this, and you know what? You're thinking, I want to save some money. I, I want to have a better grasp on my finances. Let me tell you that if you started today by just saving $25 a week, if you just saved $25 a week, by the middle of the summer, you would have saved $650. That's a lot of money. And, and, and by the end of 2015, you will be $1,500 in the black if you would have just put away $25 a week. For some of you, maybe your goal, one of your resolutions is you want to do this. You want to quit smoking. You want to quit smoking. And let me tell you, if you stopped smoking today, do you know that by the time you got to the spring, your lungs are going to have a 30% greater capacity than they do right now? Or when you get to June 28th, and you get six months into the future, that the cilia, which are the tiny little hairs that are in your lungs that fight off disease that the tobacco kills, that the cilia will actually be back to the state 
where they were before you ever started smoking. That in, and to a large part, your lungs will be healing themselves. That can happen if you start today. If you start today. That, that's kind of how it works, isn't it? That you get a view of your future you, and when you see yourself this summer, you'll be thankful that you pushed the cheesecake away. Isn't that right? That when you see uh, the future you, when you get a glimpse of the future you, you'll be glad that, you know what, I'm going to get a better handle on my finances. When you see a, a, a glimpse of the future you, you'll be glad that you stop smoking. You will. If you and I could just see our lives through the lens of the future you, I think a lot of our lives would be a lot clearer. One of the big things that we're going to think about this through this entire series, but especially today, one of the things I do here at One Church is I preach big ideas, one-point sermons. So if you don't get the one point, I've really failed, right? I don't give like six points or 22 points, one point. Here's the one point I want you to lead today, okay? You ready? You ready? Okay, here we go. What would the future you tell you to do? What would the future you tell you to do? Can you say that with me? What would the future you tell you to do? That right now, at this moment, if you could have a conversation with you six months from now, what would the future you tell you to do right now? Because here's the reality. Some of us, we're dealing with the usual New Year's resolution things, you know, the checklist, lose a few pounds, uh, stop this, uh, save this. But for most of us, honestly, if we're, if we're going to get a, a good dose of reality, there are a lot of us in here, we're struggling with some pretty deep issues right now. For some of you, your problem isn't failure, your problem is success. And you're, because you're never home. Your marriage isn't where it needs to be. Your kids don't see you enough. And you're struggling trying to figure out how to balance all of this. And, and, if, and if you could talk to the future you right now, the future you would probably sit you down and say, you know what, you've got to stop. You've you got to stop working so many hours. You've got to reprioritize your family. You've got to say no to some things at work. And you know what, if it was easy, you'd already done it, wouldn't you? But it's not easy. It's tough. So that's the reason why I want you to ask yourself this question. What would the future you tell you to do? For some of you, your challenge isn't overworking. Your challenge is a grudge. Because some of you, your, your biggest struggle is unforgiveness. And, and as you're going into 2015, you are dragging baggage of anger and hatred into 2015. What would the future you tell you to do about that. And some of you, it's just like, okay, Chris, you don't know my story, and you don't know how he hurt me, and you don't know what she did here, and, and, and I get it, I don't. But you do. And if you could sit down with you in six months, what would the future you tell you to do? Because some of you, it really is, it's about forgiveness. And you're like, I don't even know how to forgive people. We're going to talk about that. What would the future you tell you to do? For, for, for some of you, you have some deep-seated addictions. For, for some of you, uh, it, it's alcohol. This is interesting, but nowhere in the Bible does it say, thou shall not drink alcohol. It just isn't in there. But what the Bible talks a lot about is allowing alcohol to control your life. And you've been saying for a lot, you know what? I can always put it down, but you don't. 
in every time you drink, it's to get drunk. And you've said some dumb things while you're drunk. You've done some dumb things. Maybe you've texted some dumb things, right? And you've responded very harshly to some people. What would the future you tell you to do about your drinking? For others of you, maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's over-the-counter drugs. It's prescription drugs. Or maybe it's something even a little bit harder. And you've been saying, i got to get my life straight. i got to put my head on straight. What would the future you tell you to do about those pills, about those drug problems? And for others of you, it isn't just saving $25 a month. No, your finances are in much worse shape than that. Because for some of you, you're just a few months away from losing it all. You're just a few months away from the house being foreclosed on. And if something happens out of the ordinary, it's all over for you. Because you have dug yourself in such a deep hole of debt that you see no way that you can get out. Hear me. What would the future you tell you to do about how you handle money? I really do think that if we could see all of those issues through the lens of what the future you would say, a lot of us would do some things differently. What would the future you tell you to do? Because here's the reality. For many of us, we do have the checklist and the small resolution things, but for most of us, there are some things that we just can't control, can we? There are some issues that are just too big for us to deal with. There are some issues that we have no control over and, and we just kind of put our head in the sand and many times we're so consumed by the urgent that we put off really what's important. And if you do those, if you put off those small important things long enough, you really can shipwreck and ruin your life. So what would the future you tell you to do? Well, here's the thing. I believe God really wants you to ask and answer that question. In fact, I believe God, for all of us in here, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, God wants you to make some progress. God wants us to be able to get some things under control. And for many of us, even the things that are way beyond our control, God is like, he is for you, he is rooting for you. And what's amazing about this is I believe the Bible we're going to see some people in the Bible that actually deal with some of the mess that you and I deal with today. Totally. Because the Bible is full of stories of people who are faced with situations that were much bigger than themselves, and we're going to really dig into one today. All right. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 14. Just to let you guys know, we give away Bibles for free here at One Church. So I'm encouraging, encouraging you to steal a Bible. From one church, all right? I believe that the way you're going to get closer to God is by reading your Bible. And we have a a rack of those. We literally, about every year, we spend about $8,000 on Bibles, right? And because we want everybody to be able to have a Bible. So Matthew chapter 14, before we dive in to Matthew 14 verse 22, let me give you the context. Because every time you open up God's word, we are entering into a bigger story. So let me tell you what's happening. Matthew, God uh, wrote Matthew, his name was Matthew, right? And he wrote it all about Jesus. Now at this point in Matthew chapter 14 verse 22, what we're going to see is that Jesus has chosen his 12 disciples. It's kind of his best friends. And they've been hanging out now for about a year and a half. We kind of see the end of the story. They're going to hang out for about three and a half years, day in and day out. And they're going to see Jesus do some amazing things. 
But before we get to the story we're looking at today, let me give you the context because Jesus and his disciples are up on this hill and all these people are listening to Jesus and it starts getting lunchtime and everybody's hungry. How many of y'all hungry right now? Some of you are going, preach quick, preacher. Preach quick. All right. All right. So here's the thing. So everybody's hungry. So the disciples come to Jesus and go, dude, this is my version of it. Dude, um, everybody's hungry. What are we going to do? Right? And uh, Jesus says, uh, what, what you got? So they found this little boy, and, and he had a Happy Meal, and they took his Happy Meal away, five loaves of bread, two fish, and they bring it to Jesus. Right? And they bring it to Jesus, and Jesus, like, prays over it, and they start passing out the Happy Meal. And lo and behold, <laughs> the five loaves of bread and the two fish fed everybody. I mean, everybody. In fact, not only did it feed everybody, but the disciples brought back and they had 12 basketfuls left over, right? I mean, that's like really cool stuff. None of, that had, none of the disciples had ever seen anything like that before. And in that context, we're going to look at verse 22 because in verse 22, Jesus says, okay, after this big miracle of feeding the 5,000, get into the boat and go on the other side, but I'm not going to be with you. Look at what happens. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there, what? Alone. Good. So the disciples are in the boat. Night falls. And this is where the story gets real good. Look at this. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. That's, that's, that's real. We're going to talk about that. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting the waves. Maybe that's where some of you are at right now as you approach 2015. That you feel like you're in the midst of a storm. A storm that you feel like maybe God has sent you into and that you're alone. And you have the wind and the waves and they're battering everything and you're crying out for Jesus and Jesus is nowhere to be found. And maybe that's the big struggle as you go into 2015. As you look back at 2014, it's just like, God, I'm, I'm here and I've been talking to you, I've been praying to you, but I don't feel like you're really close to me. And I feel like everybody says that you're good but if you were good, why would you send me into that storm? Why would you allow all of these things to happen to my life? And if you look at the original language of that last verse, the original language was written in Greek. One of the words there, it doesn't just say the wind and waves were bad. It said the wind and waves were tormenting the boat. That You know, Jesus could have sent the disciples anywhere, but he sent them into the boat. And Jesus being God, Jesus knew that there was a storm coming. And Jesus is up on the hill, on this mountain praying, and he probably could even see the storm coming. So these guys, and at least half of them, were, had spent their lives on the water. They were professional fishermen, commercial fishermen. They, now they've been rowing, they had their sails up, they're in the middle of the night, and, and this perfect storm arises on the Sea of Galilee. And the storm gets so bad that the waves are torturing the boat and they're afraid for their lives. And Jesus is nowhere to be found. Did you know that the first Christians in the, in the first century uh, in, in the church, that's kind of how they felt 
a lot like when it comes to Jesus. Because Jesus left, and, and it just feels like they were all alone, and you don't know where God is, and maybe that's exactly where your life is right now. You feel like you're in the middle of the storm, and you're in the middle of your mess right now, and God is nowhere to be found. The Bible talks about that. Did you know that? That's how you're feeling and, and, and your big pushback about religion and God, the Bible is, you know, it's just all just happy-go-lucky and smells like roses. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. People in the Bible felt like that. The people who were closest to Jesus felt like that. Let's keep on reading. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them. Hit the pause button. All right, so they got into the boat on the Sea of Galilee, and they were going to cross the other side, and it was daytime. Remember, and then it said night fell. So this is probably nine hours of them rowing, nine hours of them fighting the wind and the waves, nine hours. They've got blisters on their hands. There's not a dry, a dry part on their body. They're waterlogged. Their, their fingers are all pruny like when you stay in the bath too long. They are tired. They are tired. And imagine the disciples aren't worried about trying to get to the other side. They're just trying to worry about staying alive. And look at what it says. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Now, let's, again, Jesus wasn't walking on the water to impress them. Jesus walked on water to demonstrate that he is in control of every situation. Jesus walked on the water to demonstrate that he is in control over any and every storm. That when you feel the most out of control, that's when God is most in control in the middle of whatever storm you happen to be in right now, this morning. Jesus has a way of getting to you, even if it means he has to walk over top of the storm to get to you. That The disciples thought that they were alone, but they really weren't. Whatever storm you're in, Jesus has a way of saying, I am bigger than that. I am bigger than the storm that you're in. I'm bigger than the, your darkest night. I'm bigger than the waves. I'm bigger than the wind. I'm bigger, bigger than whatever's torturing you. And that you are never alone. Look what it says. The story even gets more interesting. When the disciples saw him walking on water, they were what? Oh, Jesus, we can't. Oh, it's awesome. Is that how they were? They were like, <laughs> they were terrified. Look at the emotions. They were terrified, and in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. They're going, it's something paranormal, right? We can't explain it. I mean, they are terrified, and they're afraid. But look at what Jesus says. But Jesus spoke to them at once, and what did he say? He speaks right into their emotions. He doesn't say, you know what, just don't be afraid. How many of y'all have children, and they ever got afraid? Anyone? Let me see your hands. Have you ever just went to your children and said, son, okay, logically, there's no monsters underneath the bed, right? I mean, they're not eating anything. If you didn't eat them, they would die. There is no monster. So you try to approach it logically. Does that ever work? Never, right? Because fear isn't logical. Jesus says, don't be afraid. And if you tell your children, don't be afraid, that doesn't help. But Jesus even goes beyond that. He says, don't be afraid, he said, he said, the ne- what was the next two words? Take courage. Okay, where does that come from? Here's where it comes from. I am here. You see, you can take courage because Jesus has showed up in the midst of your storm. Uh, I-, I remember, you know, growing up, and I got picked on a lot, right? I just did. And one of the times, I mean, I, I hated riding the bus, 
And I, I, I'm a product of Clarksville Montgomery County School System. So, um, and I remember just go, going on the bus and just always getting picked on, right? And, until one day my dad showed up on the bus. Right. You know what? I wasn't afraid that day. And that's what happens here. You see, you can be afraid, but you can take courage when dad shows up. And when Jesus shows up in the midst of your storm, you can take courage because I am here. In fact, in that original language, it doesn't say really I am here. This is what it says, I am. Now, for some of you, if you have some background in a lot of the Old Testament, that word I am, those two words, you know exactly kind of where that alludes to because some of you are thinking of Moses right now, right? And Moses is talking to the burning bush, God there, and and God saying, hey, you and I, we're going to do this. We're going to get the people out of Egypt. And Moses is like, Excuse me, I have a question. Yes, uh, you're the only one here, Moses. Ask your question. Um, I, I, if we're going to do this together, I need to know kind of who I'm working with. And God says, let me tell you who you're working with. My name, I am. Oh, that clears it up. Thanks. A bunch, right? I mean, th- that's just God. God says, I am. That's one of the names of God. And then God shows off, shows up and shows out in Moses' life. And that same God is speaking through Jesus, the Son of God, saying, I am he. I am. That the God who showed up and showed out in the Old Testament is that same God who smack dab in the middle of the storm that you find yourselves in. And there's something about that I am that just resonated with Peter because Peter does something a little bit cray-cray. All right? Peter says this. Okay. You're I am, and I am, I am in a boat that's sinking. I want to test this. Um, so uh, I want to kind of press the limits here. And let's look at what Peter says. Peter says, then Peter called to him, Lord, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, I'm going to show you a clip so that you will all know what happens. Because some of you, this is a new story. For many of us, it's like, okay, I got it. All right. But I want, let's kind of see, let's push forward into the future and let's see what happens so that the future Peter can talk to the present Peter who's smack dab in the midst of the storm. And let's see how this is going to turn out. Y'all watch this. Then he'd meet us on the other side. Let's go!
the Messiah. Peter. we know the rest of the story, right? We know it. We know how it's going to end. Let's go back and let's look at that last verse that we just saw. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. So Peter decides at that moment, I'm all in. I'm going all in. I am getting out of this boat. I'm going to walk through the water. I'm going to walk through the wind. I'm going to walk through the rain. I am going to walk over the dark of night, and I'm going to go where Jesus is. And, and what Peter is saying is that he decides that the only way he is going to solve his current crisis is to do something that he is incapable of doing because he cannot walk on water. I mean, maybe that's what your current crisis feels like. Uh, it, it, you're thinking, there's no way I can beat this addiction. It's, too, it's just bigger than me. And there's no way I can stop my overspending. It's, it's bigger than me. I, 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 there's no way I can get over this unforgiveness. It's bigger than me. And if you're thinking that this is too big for me to do, I've got some great news for you because you are in the right place because we know a God who is bigger than all of that. In the middle of the storm, let's go back to that big idea. In the middle of the storm, the 11 disciples in the boat, what are they thinking? And if the future 11 disciples, the future them, six months in the future, can come back and talk to those 11 in the boat, what do you think they would say to themselves? They'd probably say, risk it. It's okay. God's got this. You feel out of control, get out of What would the future disciples tell the present disciples in the storm? Let's keep on pushing even further. The future Peter. Peter's like this, right? He's got one foot over the gunnels. He's got the other foot over the gunnels, and he's like, (laughs) right? Oh, my gosh. I am walking on water, right? I mean... What would the future Peter tell the Peter in that moment? What do you think he would say? Because that's the question we're wrestling. What would the future... I tell you, I think the future Peter would tell Pete at that moment, don't take your eyes off Jesus. Don't look around. Don't get cocky. 
Don't look at the wind. Don't look at the waves. Stare at Jesus. You see, because all of us, we have a future you. What would your future you tell you to do? So Peter asked Jesus, hey, can I get out of the boat? And then Jesus responds. Look what it says in verse 29. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and started walking on the water towards Jesus. Now look what happens. Because Peter's just like you and me. He has great successes and he has great failures. And it's all about two seconds away from one another, right? That's kind of how I live my life, right? Um, And let's look at what happens, all right? Look at this. But when Peter saw the what? Strong wind and waves. Quick question. How do you see the wind? You see, some of you are right there right now. Because the reason why you think 2015 isn't going to be any different than 2014 is because you're seeing the wind. Think about it. You can't see the wind. You can see effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind. But fear is like that. You start to see things that aren't there. The reason why you can't solve the problem of your addiction, the reason why you can't solve your money problems, the reason why you can't solve this or that is because you're projecting your fear into the situation and you start to see things that aren't there. You start to see things in, in your mind. We always make things bigger and nastier than they really are. Fear keeps us focused on the wind. Fear keeps us focused on the waves. And I'll tell you this, anytime you focus on anything other than Jesus, you're going to sink. Because Jesus is in control of the wind and the waves. Look what happens. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was, what's that next word? Terrified. And what happens? Can y'all do this? Let's do this all together. Ready? Let me tell you. People that go bloop, bloop, families that go bloop, bloop together, stay together. All right? Just saying. Because here's the thing. They're terrified. He begins to sink. And all, I think all of us, we start to think, okay, I can lose five pounds. Check. Check that off my list. Okay, I can maybe stop smoking. Check that off my list. Okay, I think I can save $25. Check that off my list. But let me tell you, all of us are struggling with things that are bigger than that and are more out of our control than that. Many of us are struggling with addictions, alcoholism, pride. Your marriage is busted. And let's be honest, it's bigger than you. It's not just a list to be checked off. It's bigger than you. So how do you handle that? How do you handle things that go way beyond your control? How do you handle the habit that you've tried over and over to beat, but it keeps on beating you? How do you handle the health prognosis that some of you just got before Christmas that is way out of your control? You know, you can look at the size of the problem and say, it's impossible to fix. And if you fixate on the problem, you will sink every time. But what would the future Peter tell the present Peter who's in the middle of the storm? What would he tell him? I think the future Peter would tell him in the storm, (laughs) don't fixate on the problem. Look at Jesus. Oh, you see those waves? Don't look at them. Not that big of a deal. They'll get ready to be calmed in just a moment. Look at Jesus. By the way, don't look at the waves. Not that big. You are doing something right now that no other person has ever done except Jesus. Smile, right? And fixate on Jesus. I think that's what the, the, the future Peter would tell the Peter in the midst of the storm. And then look what happens. He's sinking, 
And then Peter, terrified, he was, began to sink, verse 30. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and grabbed him. So what does Jesus say to Peter? Hey, great job. At least you got out of the boat. Look at what Jesus says to Peter. You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? And if you're Peter, if I was Peter, I'd be going, seriously? I mean, at least I got out of the boat, right? I mean, the other 11, they're still going, hold me, right? They just are. At least I got out of the boat. But Jesus, he, he tells Peter, he says, you have such little faith. In fact, that word little faith, he actually creates it in a nickname, if you look at it in the original Greek. And it's this one. I'm, I'm going to mispronounce this. But it's, it's this nickname of oligopistoi. And it literally means little face. Little face. And every time when Jesus would, would talk to a disciple and they would have, you know, little face, your little face. Let me tell you, Jesus never ever called a non-Christian, you've got little faith. Let me tell you the reason why. is because Jesus, he was so welcoming to outsiders. He was so welcoming to people who were on the religious edges. They just loved being with him and Jesus loved being around them. But it was around his believers, the disciples who should have known better, who just struggled. He had little faith. You have little faith. Look what happens next. The last two verses and we're done. When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then, look at this, then a light bulb goes off. A light bulb goes off. They finally figure it out. Then the disciples did what? Worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. You're not just another teacher. You're not just a wise person. You're not just a guru. But you really are the Son of God. You see, this isn't about resolutions this year. It's about revolutions. It's not just about, hey, can I have a little bit better version of me? Jesus is going, you don't need a better version of you. You need to be remade anew inside and out. That, you know, some of us, we can make progress on those small things. But let's just be real. Let's drop the church facade and the I'm fine. And let's just acknowledge that there are some things in my life, in your life, that's just too big for you to handle, that it's too out of your control. And the only way that we're going to make progress on things like that is we're going to have to surrender. The only way you're going to make progress on your forgiveness is surrendering, like your marriage, like your compulsive spending. So the good news is that you don't have to do this alone, folks. By the time you get to the summer, your life can be radically different. Over the next six months, your life can change. And at the middle of the next six months, you're going to see a Savior who's there and in the middle of everything, and his name is Jesus. And maybe you've been a Christian for, for a few years. You have that relationship, but you've just been doubting and doubting and doubting. Maybe just over this next couple of moments, you could take two or three things and go to God and say, you know what, this time I am going to go all in. I will go see the counselor for my anger problem. I'm going to get involved in Financial Peace University, and I'm actually going to make progress on my debt. I'm going to get into a community group of people that encourage me and that can care and love on me because there's some things I just can't do it can't do it on my own. I will use whatever you put around me, God, but whatever you put around me, I am making you, Jesus, the center of it all. So, as I close, remember our big idea? Let's put it up on the screen again. What would the future you tell you to do? 
right now, at this very moment. Here's how we're closing. Is you're going to have an opportunity to have a, uh, have a sit-down conversation with the future you. Here's what I'm going to ask. We've got some ushers, and they're going to come by, and they're going to give you a postcard. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to take it home. If you take it home, let's just be honest. You ain't never going to do it. So I'm going to give you a little bit of time, and here's what I want you to do. In fact, this is what it says. Hello from the future you. And what I want you to do is I want you to take a pen and take the postcard. Go ahead and ushers and go ahead and start bringing those down and disseminating those. I use the word dissemination in a sentence. All right. And I want you to take the one where it's printed, and I want you to write one, two, three things that you want to tell your future you, that you want to tell the you in the next six months. Because here's the thing. You already know it, don't you? You already know, I need to start doing this. I need to stop doing this. I need some help. My marriage needs help. I need to talk to a counselor. I need to be more consistent in reading the Bible, whatever that is. I'm asking you to write it on this side, and then I want you to flip it and write your home address. Because here's what we're going to do. In six months, at the end of June and in July, we're going to mail these to you. And you can be able to say, huh, I've made some progress on that. Or there's going to be some times you're going, huh, I didn't make progress on that. But whatever it is, you can have a conversation with the future you. Because imagine how your life would be different six months from now if you really got serious about some of your problems or some of your issues. For some of you guys, let me talk to the guys, because guys always have a pushback with this. You see going and talking about your feelings and problems to a counselor as a sign of weakness. And i got to be honest with you, it is a sign of strength. There are regular times every year that I go and I talk to a counselor. Why? Because your pastor is jacked up. All right? And I got to be honest with you. I, I hear you guys, I listen to you guys' you know, issues. I got to be able to have somebody talk about my issues. Right? Because guess what? All of us have issues. Right? So, guys, it's not a sign of weakness. Maybe the best thing for your marriage isn't to just go on that vacation in six months, because guess what? That 10-day vacation isn't going to fix your marriage. It's not. Let's just be honest. It's deeper than that. You need to do something different. You remember the definition of insanity? Doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result. For some of you, right now, as I'm talking, I'm, I'm, I'm winding down, so I want you to be writing, be writing. I want you to write yourself that note. Does everybody have a card? If you don't, let me see your hands. All right, we need some cards down here. Some cards down here, ushers. Anyone else? Keep them up until you get a card, if you would, please. Ushers, anyone? All right, all right, are we all out? All right, here's what we're gonna do. I apologize, all right, put you in there. Next Sunday, we're gonna have some more cards. So you gotta promise me, are you guys gonna grab cards next week? Are you guys gonna grab cards next week? All right, I've got one card I'll give to somebody. If somebody will come grab it. All right, there you go. But here's what I want you to do. We're going to be doing this through the entire series. If you've got friends who aren't here yet, you can take the card. I don't want you to write it down. Write down. What do you want to tell the future you? And we're going to mail it to you. 
All right? Now, as you, some of you are still writing, I'm going to pray. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Don't close your eyes. Keep on writing. Because I'm going to pray for you and that God will give you wisdom and discernment about what you need to write down. Now, now here's the thing. After you've written it down, you guys are going to go out these doors, and there is a basket right next to our giving kiosk. If you would drop that in the basket so that we can put that in the mail for you, okay? Everybody got that? All right, let me pray, and then we've got a couple announcements, and we'll be done. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I know all of us right now, we're thinking about the future. We're thinking about what does 2015 really look like, and it will it be any better than 2014. And Lord... Though we can't answer that question because it's really out of our control, what we've learned today, God, is that nothing is out of your control. So, God, I pray for those people right now who are writing. I pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment. Your word says in James chapter 1, verse 5, that any of us lacks wisdom, the only thing we need to do is ask. And, Lord, I pray that's exactly what we do right now. Lord, that we would be able to have a conversation with that future you, the future us, six months from now. And Lord, I pray that all of us, if we could just catch a glimpse of what that future you would tell us, Lord, things would be so much clearer. And Lord, even more importantly than that, if we could just catch a glimpse of what you, the I am, wants from us and in us and for us, it would be so crystal clear. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.